Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We can open your word, Lord. Just pray that you would give us understanding here this evening. Pray that you give me the words to speak. And give your people ears to hear. And just thank you for being our God and, and revealing so much to us, Lord. And just pray this evening that you reveal more to us from your word. In the name of Christ. Alrighty. Um, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Jonah. Chapter 3 and verse 6. And while you all are turning there, I'm just going to give us a little review. It's <clears throat> not going to be much review because I think we're all kind of familiar with the story here. But remember, Jonah had just been spit out by the fish. Um, and he walks to Nineveh. And it says, and when he got into the, uh, he entered into the city a day's journey. Remember, it was a three days journey was the city. He enter, enters in one day's journey. So he gets almost to the middle of this great city and he preaches. And his preaching wasn't eloquent. He wasn't a man of many words. He didn't do what most, most preachers do and preach too long. He didn't go by verse by verse through a book, and he didn't even read from a book. He simply said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, in verse 4. That was his message. We have no indication from our text, or any other text, that Jonah expounded on that message either, or he gave the whys and the hows of it, how it would be overthrown. Simply that one sentence. 40 days, and then it will be overthrown. And then, as we saw last time we met, verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God. As I mentioned before, you know, it came was a, with a great revival. We could call it the, uh, a, a great awakening. From that one simple sentence that Jonah preached. Now to get into our, our message here, I have two points tonight, and it's the, the nations repent, for the nation repents, and God repents. So look at verse 6. It says, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. The king repented. The king of Nineveh repented. So this wasn't just the peasants that were being regenerated, but even the higher-ups. God was doing an amazing work of regeneration within this nation. And remember, this is after Jonah's disobedience, which led to that great storm out there on, on the Mediterranean Sea, by which God saved a bunch of sailors too. Remember, he just comes from that. He was on the, the ship with all those sailors, and God saved all these sailors on the ship. He gets thrown into the water, is about to die. His whale swallows him, spits him up on the land. He goes to Nineveh. He says one sentence. And his whole city starts repenting. So he comes here and he preaches that message. And God is saving the whole city. If we can see a theme that runs through this book... Its salvation is of the Lord. Now let us remember something here. Who were mainly saved in the Old Covenant system? 
Jews. Nineveh is a Gentile nation. God saves a whole nation of Gentiles under the Old Covenant times. So this, is, this, this truly displays that God does what He wants. He saves whom He desires to save. And it also shows, as Jonah will complain about later, that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Jonah complains about that. God did not have to save these people. These people were not thinking about Yahweh. They probably were all going about their lives, their, you know, their busy lives. They're in this great city with much livestock. They're all going about their lives, not being disturbed by this preacher. They were not seeking God, yet God sent forth Jonah into this city to preach that message to save them. And it goes from the least of them to the greatest. As we can see, the king repents. Now this should give us hope. Nineveh was a strictly pagan nation. It was a vile nation. It was a nation that murdered God's people, yet God converts the king and the people of that nation. Can we not look out in our landscape today and find hope that God can do the same here? I think so. Actually, I know He's going to do it someday because the psalmist's hope and prophecy was that all kings and nations will bow before Him in worship in Psalm 72. You can't read Psalm 72 and not have hope for the future. God is in the business of saving people from the least of them to the greatest, and we can see that in full display here with Jonah, even when the preacher is disobedient. Notice verse 7 through 9. And he calls, now this is talking about the king here, and he calls it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. What can tell, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Because God caused repentance in the heart of the king, it flowed down to the people. He proclaimed the fast. He told the people to repent and to cry out to God. This was the king saying this to, to them. So not only did Jonah call the people to repent, but once God granted repentance to the king, he called the people to repent too. So the king of Nineveh goes from a pagan king to a preacher of repentance by the grace of God. You know, when I was thinking on this, I, I was thinking, I hope God allows us to look back through time when we get to heaven. So we can see stuff like this take place. So we can see this dude smelling like fish walking into the middle of Nineveh with stinky breath. Didn't brush his hair, didn't brush his teeth, didn't brush his beard. And it says, in 40 days Nineveh is going to be just overthrown. There, God, I said it. And God saves the whole nation. This would have been amazing to see. A whole nation turns to Yahweh. 
to turn they turn from to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And let us remember that this is probably around a half a million people. This is no small amount of people that the Lord saves here. It was a great city, and now it was a repentant and believing city. So let's move on here. The nation repents. The second point, God repents. So this looks like I mean, let's read verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil ways, and God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. So this looks like the people repented, and then God repented, right? Now, what is repentance? It's a change of mind. That's it. It's a change of mind. So, is this saying that because the Ninevites repented, God changed his mind? I don't believe so. And I think that's part of the problem if we don't let Scripture interpret Scripture. If, if we try to simply interpret historical narrative apart from didactic literature, we can run into problems. So first, how does one repent? Is it just a free will choice that they make one day? Is it just something that's inside of them and once somebody finds the key, they can unlock it? No, we know from many scriptures that God gives repentance. It says in 2 Timothy 2.25, it says, With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Perhaps we, we, we in gentleness, correct those that are in opposition to the faith because perhaps God will grant them repentance. In Acts 5.31, he says, He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We know the whole work of salvation is of the Lord. If God doesn't give repentance, we would never repent. If God doesn't give faith, we would never believe. So we must not put the cart before the horse here. Their repentance came from God. It was a gift from God to these people. So it wasn't that this repentance took God by surprise and then He responded by repenting Himself. He's not sitting up on His throne and He's like, I didn't expect this to work. Jonah, I told you to go preach. I didn't expect them to repent, but now that they have, now I, I'm going to change my mind. That's not how our God works. Rather, this was the plan of God that He is unfolding to Jonah and the Ninevites. This was in the mind of God from eternity past. There was never a time that God, that God did not plan for this to happen. You know, there's no accidents in God's universe. So what does it mean that God repented then? If it wasn't that God was reacting to something that happened. Remember, God is not a reactionary God. 
It's not as though something happens that he didn't expect that then he has to react to it. What this is is what's called anthropomorphic language. God doesn't change. God's mind doesn't change. By definition, if God's mind changed, he's not God. The scripture, the God of the scriptures is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what it says. He is immutable. Like Job said, Job in 20, Job 23, 13, he says, But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desires, even that he does. Our God doesn't change ever at all. And because of that, his mind never changes. What we have here is what I said is anthropomorphic language. Because we can't necessarily describe God and what he does perfect in our language. What happened here is that God said he'd overthrow Nineveh. Remember, God said he was going to overthrow Nineveh. And then he didn't because they repented. So from our perspective, it's as though God changed from what he was going to do. However, God knew and planned and controlled the situation from start to finish. He didn't change in it. But since he effected change in the Ninevites, he withheld from what he told Jonah he would do. So God wrote about the change in them. God brings about the change in them that brought about Him withholding destruction to them. You see, this is what happened to every single one of us who names the name of Christ. God would declare, it says in Romans 6, 23, I think it is, for the wages of sin is death. And every single one of us has sinned. So the wage, what we have earned is death. However, God would give us faith and repentance and take away our sins. So now he can declare, not that the wages of sin is death and you shall die, but now he declares and he looks at you, Christian, and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Two things about that is, you aren't good or faithful. But due to his goodness and faithfulness, he declares that about you. Just like with the Ninevites, there was nothing good or faithful about the Ninevites. Yet God saves them. And now withholds judgment that would have come upon a disobedient people. It's not that God changed. He, if they continued on that route, he most certainly would have overthrown Nineveh. But yet God grants them repentance and then saves them and does not bring about that destruction. The same thing he did in our lives, right? In a little microcosm, that's what he's done for each one of us. You continue in on sin, in your sin, you will head to hell. You will be in hell. You continue in your sin. But yet, God gives us faith and repentance, takes away our sins, and takes that hell upon himself on the cross for us. Now look at verse chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. In case you thought Jonah may have changed his mind when he was in the belly of that whale. In case you thought Jonah all of a sudden, you know, he, he got more sanctified in the belly of the whale. He grew, he grew in maturity 
<laughs> he just preached and half a million people got saved and he's mad now. And he's not mad necessarily at the people. He's mad at God. He's still this grumpy old prophet that hated the Ninevites. He was displeased and angry because God was merciful to them. As we'll see coming in, in, the, in the next message, we, we'll see this. But this is something that should be great, bring great joy to the people of God when God saves someone. Yet it brought displeasure with Jonah. So he's back to being the disobedient prophet. He did preach the message that God proclaimed, and in that praised God that he was obedient. But as you can see, he did it reluctantly. I don't want to move past here today to, to, the, to the next verses. But as we can see, Jonah hasn't really changed. He was had. He was running from the Lord. The Lord caused a great storm, caused him to be thrown overboard and almost die at the bottom of the sea, caused the whale to swallow him, spits him out on the land. He goes there and preaches that message to the people that he hates. God saves him, and now he's mad. And that's where we're at. So to summarize this message, we can see a small glimpse of what will continue to happen throughout history. We may not see the fruit of it now, but it will happen. That kings and nations will bow before the Lord, as the psalmist says in Psalm 72. That According to, to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he's quoting Psalm 110. He says, For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. He will continue to conquer people and nations like he did in Nineveh. And he may even use disobedient, grumpy preachers in doing so like he did with Jonah. Because salvation is of the Lord and he needs no man to bring about the salvation of his people. Remember Jesus said the rocks will cry out. I don't need you. He doesn't need to, to draw up a man to preach forth the message. He could write it in the clouds if he wanted to. God brings about the salvation of the people. He is sovereign and in the words of another great king in history... King Nebuchadnezzar, he was mighty, wasn't he? For a little while. Then he was as a cow in the field, eating grass, crazy. And then God granted him his reasoning back to him. And listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no, and no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What hast thou done? Our God does what He wants in heaven and in earth. Read Psalm, was it Psalm 115 verse 3. But our God is in the heaven and He does whatsoever He pleases. And sometimes He uses the most unwilling in accomplishing His will. But His will will be accomplished without a doubt. So by way of application, there's no, I don't have much on here for application, but what does this mean for us here? Well, let us rest in the fact that God can and does bring about the salvation of His people. He doesn't need us, but by His grace, He uses us in accomplishing it. Let us be ready and willing. Let us be like the other prophet, Isaiah, when he said, Here I am, Lord, send me. God has given us a simple message to carry into the world, so let us take it forth with great joy and confidence because He said that His Word will not return void. Let us be obedient prophets, prophets with a little p, preachers of His Word and take great joy, even if God saves people that we may not even like. You know, we could quite easily make application of this today, of what's going on in the Middle East right now. You know, I've seen a couple popular preachers call for the annihilation of Muslims over there for attacking Israel. First, neither one of those people groups are on our side as Christians. It's illegal to preach Christ in Israel. Just as it is in a Muslim nation. They both hate us and hate our God. However, we should desire to see both nations saved for the glory of God, not to be wiped off the face of the earth. So let that be our prayer and our mission. Let us not, not, let us not hope that, why does God not just destroy this nation? And I actually saw it, it said, and wipe them off the face of the earth. Why? How about God save that nation like He did Nineveh? Maybe we could obey Paul's command to Timothy when he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he says, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Our desire is to see them saved, not destroyed. Don't be like Jonah in this. If God starts regenerating Muslims, or Jews, or Americans, or Russians, we should praise God for it. And this is what we should desire for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. Amen.